I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Owl Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Hey, Owl Pellets, this is Brian, and I am here by the Owl Pellet with Becky and Mike, and we are coming to you live, recorded in front of a live studio audience of no one. Oh, live studio. <laughs> live studio. <laughs> live studio audience. As compared to what? I don't think you get to say live if you're not actually like live to your audience. I'm live, and you're live. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we're here with Al Pellets, and we have with us two phenomenal guests, uh, Blake and uh, Blake Colclazer and Jack Dempsey, who are going to talk to us about some of their research around instructional methods. And uh, so we are so excited and glad to have you guys with us today. Well, thanks so much for having us. We're excited to be here. So to get things started, Blake, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you got going on. Yeah, absolutely. So um, currently I'm starting at the University of Tennessee uh, here um, just in a couple of weeks, actually, in the Agricultural Leadership Education and Communication Department. I'm a former high school ag teacher. And then for the past few years, I've been teaching at Doan University in Nebraska, a small liberal arts uh, university there. Yeah, and then can I go now? Please, <laughs> yeah. go right ahead, yes. Hi, my name is Jack Dempsey. I've known Blake for years, uh, both inside and outside academia. Uh, I'm currently uh, an adjunct lecturer at the University of Illinois, um, and then I work full-time for an educational technology startup company. Although most of my work uh, has focused more on uh, reading development, uh, I, I have recently started looking at instructional methods, especially in my work with Blake. Uh, because, you know, learning is one side, but teaching is the other. So Fan. I'm glad to be here. Excellent. Well, welcome. We're always glad to have another Illinoisan to the crowd. You know, all, yeah. Are we? Yeah. Okay. Illinois is a great place to be from. Go uh, Orchard Woods, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, make sure my parents hear that one. Um, so to, to, to dig me out of this, Blake, tell us a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today. Absolutely. Well, we did a, a study a few years ago and recently got published. And um, so Jack, myself, and then our co-author, um, Andrew Thorin from Abraham Baldwin uh, Agricultural College, we, we surveyed Florida ag teachers uh, to identify what instructional methods they were using in their classroom, uh, as well as their belief of effectiveness uh, with those methods and uh, collected some demographic variables as well. Uh, so we, we have some pretty interesting results to share, um, and some of those results align with similar findings from ag teachers, uh, well, from studies uh, based in other states as well. So some common themes kind of kind of uh, showing through. Excellent. I'm, I'm excited to hear a little bit about what you found out. So tell us a little bit about uh, some of the initial findings that you had from the study. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we, we got responses from 150 uh, ag teachers in Florida, uh, and we we asked them what percent of their classroom time they use different instructional methods, and we gave them a list uh, 
of 12 common instructional methods ranging from uh, lecture discussion, cooperative learning, brainstorming, debate, uh, case study, role play, uh, et cetera. And uh, so, so they selected that percent of class time that they used uh, these certain methods. And uh, similar to other studies, we found that overall teachers use the most of lecture discussion. So in fact, around uh, an average of 30% of class time was used uh, lecturing, uh, followed by around 16% of their class time using cooperative learning, 12% uh, with demonstration, and a little bit over 10% using paired small group discussion. And we also looked at uh, teachers' belief of those uh, of the effectiveness of those instructional methods. Uh, that was kind of interesting as well. So we'd say, hey, how effective do you think demonstration is? Uh, from not effective at all to extremely effective. And you know, overall, we found that the teachers believe most of these methods to be effective. Of course, some more effective than others. Um, so leading the list of effectiveness, teachers believe demonstration to be very to extremely effective. Same thing with cooperative learning. Uh, but things like debate or role play, they believe to be less effective. And also lecture discussion was actually lower on that list. So kind of moderately effective. Interesting. Um, so, so we're doing yeah. the, the one we think not ineffective or ineffective, but uh, the one toward, toward the bottom we were doing the most often. Right. So, yeah, with 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 the instructional methods that the teachers uh, believe to be more effective, uh, they tended to use those methods more in the classroom, with the exception of lecture discussion. So there were still some correlations there where teachers who believe lecture to be more effective use lecture more in the classroom. Uh, but what is high as some of these other uh, instructional methods? So essentially, we took the the top four most commonly used uh, instructional methods, which was lecture, cooperative learning, demonstration, and paired, paired and small group discussion. And we ran some models, right, to see, okay, what kind of influenced the use of these most commonly used methods? And we looked at things such as uh, teachers' years of experience in the classroom, whether, the, whether or not they were traditionally or alternatively certified, whether they were male or female, uh, and their belief in method effectiveness. And the one kind of shining light was belief in method effectiveness uh, was a strong kind of predictor of use of that method uh, in the classroom. Right, but uh, we do want to emphasize that the one exception to that in these, you know, kind of more sophisticated models that we ran uh, was with lecture and discussion. And so it kind of works along with the finding that lecture and discussion was the most used um, and in that you know it doesn't really matter whether teachers believed in its effectiveness or not uh, it, it was still used often and so it's really with these other methods which i think uh, blake can talk to more about the research that's shown that these other methods uh, can be more effective for learning and retention um, but these other methods can really benefit from uh, believing that they work So tell, I, I want to unpack this, this thought about lecture for a while. And we know, you know, 
conceptually and, and philosophically student-centered approaches versus teacher-centered approaches. Were you surprised at the 30% um, of class time being used by lecture? Uh, was that surprise? Were you expecting it to be higher or lower? Uh, what, what kind of expectations do you, did you have there? Well, you know, I, so I wasn't surprised, uh, but that's because I looked at other studies that were similar. Uh, you, most of those studies focused on ag teachers from other states, right? And the use of lecture was, was a similar amount, you know, between okay. 30, 40 percent of, of class time, they would use that. But then if you think about kind of the philosophy of, of ag education and, and, and what we do as a d- discipline and how we teach, you know, we, we uh, teach through students doing things, right? And we know with lectures, students are usually just sitting there absorbing information. So that was maybe a little bit surprising when you think about ag education as a whole, that ag teachers are still using so much lecture. And, you know, there's a time and place to use lecture, but I think one of the things that we need to try to do as a discipline is to get back toward more student-centered approaches instead of teacher-directed approaches to to instruction. How much when you think about some of the effectiveness, I think about, like, you've talked about effectiveness in terms of how does it help students learn. I think it can be pretty easy to think about effectiveness, and I hear this from my own colleagues when we talk about learning science and teaching, like, but, but I can't get it all done if I don't lecture. Like, I, there, it's just not possible. I have all this content to deliver. So is, is there a difference in I need to be effective in the amount of content compared to, like, I really need to focus on students learning, like, this essential yeah, if, Efficiency versus right, effectiveness. Right. Or is, is it really versus? You know, yeah. Well, and, and, yeah. I, and I think, too, yeah. that isn't there, there's probably some things that are more appropriate for lecture versus maybe other activities. And and we always have this negative approach about what lectures are, but high quality, highly effective lectures can still be an effective teaching tool. And you know, yeah, that I, I can just speak to that. I mean, it kind of highlights, uh, you know, what teachers actually have to do. Teachers need to convey a certain amount of information to a class. And sometimes the most streamlined way to do that is lecture. So, you know, what as to whether these other methods are meant to replace lecture discussion or rather just scaffold what's learned during the lecture, I think that's open to debate. Um, but I, I think, uh, well, I don't know, what do you think about that, Blake? <laughs> no, I think that's a, a very good point. And, uh, you know, I think we need to kind of narrow down why teachers are using so much lecture, right? So is it that they want to get a lot, lot of content to students? Are they using lecture because they're not comfortable using other types of, of uh, teaching methods? Are they using lecture because that's the way that they were taught, right? Um, so it, and not to say that all lecture is bad, right? But we know that other teaching methods might be better for things like to instill students' problem-solving abilities and critical thinking abilities. Um, so, yeah, so, that, I mean, that, that's a, a good thought of, you know, how can we get teachers to explore different types of, of, of methods that are more student-centered? Well, we've had some conversations on the podcast this season and in previous seasons talking about skill development. 
and, and I guess you, you can you can begin instruction, have part of instruction about developing skill that's lecture, but it does come down to having to build that, you know, actually do the skill. But in order to teach how to demonstrate and do the skill, the teacher has to know it. So part of that might be do, you know, are teachers less comfortable in teaching some of the content and some of the skill development in some of those areas they may not be comfortable with. And so it's actually more comfortable and safer to, to teach a lecture about the content rather than really be out there hands-on laboratory where they may not be able to demonstrate or do the skill themselves. Uh, so I can just, I can talk about it instead in a little bit of a safer environment. And that's just part of our, you know, the, the, a teacher can't know everything. It can't be able to do everything. So you're not going to be an expert in all the, everything, animals, plants, mechanics, all those sort of things. So maybe that's an area of growth that we have to give our teachers more, more experiences and more skills. Yeah. And even, you know, to, to that nature, resources uh, to do, you know, different things, demonstrations or even cooperative learning. Uh, sometimes it just takes additional resources that, that the teachers don't have. Um, and it probably takes more time, right, to, to plan those type of activities um, for them to be effective in the classroom. Um, where lecture, you know, you can get a ton of resources just online and through the textbook, do um, just basically teach through through notes and discussion. Um, so it's an easier thing to do. And, you know, also on that point, um, you, you know, at least in my teaching experience, and again, this is a safe space, <laughs> um, but <laughs> I, I have that experience, you know, uh, where I don't necessarily feel comfortable teaching on a specific topic uh, for whatever chapter or unit that I'm teaching on, right? And uh, what I found is that by actually giving lectures, I become more knowledgeable in that area because I have to do the research to figure it out to begin with. And, you know, going from that, if we if we think that these other teaching methods might be uh, important to scaffold what's learned in lecture or even a better way of teaching students, and if by teaching we're also learning, then, you know, it might just be worth it to use these other methods, not only to teach our current students, but to teach ourselves uh, better than we would learn uh, if we were teaching through lecture discussion. So, you know, I, we didn't investigate that in the current study, but it would also be worth seeing how much retention is kept when teachers are learning and teaching something new with these different methods, right? Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're onto something there, Jack, because I think there's a, there's a degree of safety in when we're standing up front, we're lecturing, students can't ask questions, they can't be in, inquisitive and, and we can kind of stay on our path and, and not have to react. And, and so I think that's certainly uh, something to give some consideration to and, and why we do lecture and why scaffolding certainly is important. So as we, as we think about the ag teachers that are out listening to this, what recommendations, what kind of suggestions do you have for them kind of based upon the work that you were doing here? Yeah, so I would say to, uh, to to try new things, right? I mentioned before kind of this teacher toolbox where there's such a variety of instructional methods. Uh, so if you're a teacher out there and you haven't explored some of these different methods, uh, give them a try, right? And then, um, and then you can always kind of do your own uh, research in a way in the classroom. What I mean by that is to take notes, do observations, you know, are students engaged uh, in the content? Are they having fun? Um, how's classroom management? 
Um, and then most importantly, you know, our students, um, are they learning? Are they achieving whatever objectives that you set out for them to achieve? Uh, and I think you might be surprised with some of these other types of instructional methods um, that, that, that students are more engaged maybe than they are in a lecture. Uh, maybe they're learning just as much where they have long-term knowledge retention um, by doing experiments, right? Or is improving their critical thinking skills or problem solving skills um, being taught through a different instructional method beyond uh, lecture. That's such good advice there to do that. And I, I'm sitting here thinking, Blake, as you're talking, we just wrapped up what's called the Florida Teacher Institute here in Florida, where we, we brought teachers and they were here for a whole week from noon on Sunday to noon on Friday and engaging in a variety of ag and natural resource content. And man, if we would have done lecture, we probably could have, could have quote, quote, covered all the material in maybe a day, day and a half, what took us a whole week to do it, but they were engaged in it, getting their hands dirty and, and their ability. And then the, to develop plans on how to integrate that into their curriculum, I think was much greater because they had that experience, but that took a lot of time. That took a, those teachers had to commit a week to getting that kind of experience. And that just yeah. might, that may be part of the deal as you're thinking through this, your idea of variety to do what you're telling them. It, the teachers have to be intentional about the professional development they get at because I'm thinking, and I'll be honest, I can't remember if this is research-based or just one of those old wives' tales that say we teach how we are taught, how we ended up seeing it. And again, I, maybe the smarter people in the room can remind me. I can't remember if actually researched to back that up or that was just something that we were always told. I think we see it all the time. But like, we, Yeah. We see it in the current study, you know? I, at least, you know, the most common method I learned by was lecture discussion for sure. And lo and behold, lecture discussion was the most used method we see here. So, so with that, maybe we encourage as we select our own professional development, investing the time to go into ways that are actually hands on that. Again, these teachers invested a week. That's a long time during the summer to do that, but they got, a, they were able to see things being taught in a demonstration and hopefully that'll then translate according to your study and what you're seeing here, translate into more variety of instruction in their own classroom. So I think that there, there's some implications there in, in how we, what, what professional development we pick. Right. And, you know, going off of what Blake was saying with uh, getting teachers you know, comfortable and trying these new kinds of teaching uh, methods that they might not be comfortable with. Um, a big finding was, you know, remember the belief of effectiveness and whether they use it is uh, highly correlated um, with the exception of lecture discussion, that relationship's not as strong. And so, you know, it kind of creates this scenario, at least the way I interpret the data are that, um, you know, any deviation from lecture discussion, that's gonna take a little bit more guts, right? And, you know, a more principled way of trying out these new methods is just like Blake said, take notes, ask your students about how they're learning. Uh, because if you actually are, you know, doing your own research in your classroom and seeing what works and what doesn't, that's going to help your beliefs go up for a certain method. And, you know, that's what we found is that if your belief in a method's effectiveness goes up, that will likely result in you using that method more. We've heard a couple times this season just these, these messages that kind of require us to slow down and take stock a little bit um, in terms of it, it might take a little longer to get there. It might take a little longer to plan, but that slowdown helps your practice. It helps your students and that it, it gives you a little room to step out of this race of like, 
of more and faster and get it done and really think about what's, what's that quality going to be and how do I just take a breath and do that? Yeah. And one thing that I realized too, you know, it might take more time initially to maybe design some really neat, uh, you know, week long cooperative learning activity or something like that. Uh, but then, and afterwards, you know, you can reuse that resource uh, year after year and just make small um, adjustments um, to what maybe didn't work so well to improve um, whatever project that is. So then I think long term, it actually may take less work as the instructor, right? Because when you're giving lecture, okay, you're the center of attention. You have to do that, you know, for the uh, 30 minutes, you know, every day or something like that. But then when you organize a good let's say cooperative learning activity, right? It gets pushed on the students. So it takes a little bit to organize that initially, but then you could use that resource year after year. Yeah, and you know, especially with uh, ensuring classroom engagement, that's one thing that all these methods have over lecture discussion. Because, you know, when you're given a lecture as a teacher, you can kind of survey the class and, you know, take notes like, oh, Jimmy's not paying attention, he's taking a nap. But with, uh, you know, with lecture discussion, you never actually know if students are engaged to the same level as when you use, for example, paired and group discussion. You can see whether students are talking to one another, or you can see if students are doing the hands-on activity, et cetera. Well, it, you know, you're sitting there talking, I'm thinking that um, so often we, we think about the teacher and we plan for that particular course without maybe taking into exam, you know, into account the entire teacher's day. So, and, you know, and I think Blake, when you were describing this, you really talked about the importance of variety. And we've talked about Rosenstein and first effective teaching is and variety is one of those things. And so maybe you pick, you know, you're doing whenever you have to do one of the more intense teaching methods, like a demonstration or, a, or a big group activity, you are using lecture in other classes during that same time period to kind of balance out your mental load mm -hmm. to do all those sort of things. It probably wouldn't be good to have, you know, an intense lesson or an intense teaching method in all of your classes for the, for a week long period, you know, how do you, and, and really doing your instructional yeah. planning, not just for, not on a course basis, but looking at your entire workload that a teacher has, whether that, you know, so many of our ag teachers have five, six, seven preps a day that they end mm -hmm. up having to do and using that variety across that way as well to just for your own physical and mental well being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when I became an ag teacher, um, I decided to become an ag teacher because I wanted variety, right? I wanted uh, every day to be a little bit different and to help students and uh, to just, I don't know, not have this boring routine, right? So if you did the same type of instructional method day in and day out, it'd probably become pretty boring. Um, so yeah, absolutely. We're adding variety uh, in your classrooms, good for your students and good for your own sanity. Well, speaking good for your own sanity, listening to owl pellets on a regular basis is great for your sanity. You like, okay. you like that segue? <laughs> Write that up? Uh, Blake, Jack, thank you both so very much for sharing your research with us, and you've given us all uh, some great things to think about. Encourage everyone to, to check out their work. And really, it, you know, it's really about being intentional. And, and Becky, you really summed it up well. It's about slowing down and really thinking about our practice as teachers in the, in the craziness that's always coming at us all the time. And I think, uh, Blake, Jack, this study you all have been doing really fits in well with several other conversations we've been having this season 
about just helping teachers, again, to be more intentional about our practice and looking at everything that we're trying to do and really seeing all the good things that we do as ag teachers. Uh, but again, trying to make sure that we're being intentional with that. So I encourage everybody, again, to check out the, the work that they've been doing. Uh, engage with, with them and with, with all of us on social media as this gets posted out there and check out their work that they've got going on. And so, again, Blake, Jack, thank you so very much for spending some time with us today here on Pellets. Hey, it's been a blast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Remember, believe in what you do. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers.